0: Well, we're getting near July the 4th, finally, Independence Day. We've got the um, patriotic picnic uh, following in the pavilion. I hope everyone's going to come, and particularly our visitors will come. If you didn't know about it, we certainly hope that you'll just join us afterwards for that picnic. Now, this is uh, one question that all of us should be able to answer, and that's, who is the father of our country? And I will, I will trust that you know the answer to that is George Washington. Every Israelite can easily answer who the father of their country, their nation is, and that's Abraham. And we're coming now to the the final days of Abraham. We're coming to the death of Abraham. We've been looking at his life for several weeks now. With that in mind, let me read from Genesis 25, verses 1 through 12. Abraham took another wife. whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuam. Jokshan fathers Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashiram, Latusham, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Epham, Ephem, Ephem Hanak, Abedah, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Birn-Lahang-Heroi. So we've gotten to Abraham's to the end of his life. These verses that we just read reveal an interesting side note about Abraham that probably most of us perhaps didn't realize. Abraham had married again, and he had not one, but he had six sons. It's somewhat unclear, actually, when this additional family came to be. It, it could have been in the the way that you read the Hebrew, he could have married this woman while Sarum was still alive. But um, whatever the case, that the concubines refer to in verse six, they are Keturah and probably Hagar. A concubine, what is what is that? That is that's actually a wife, a legal marriage, but it's a second-tier wife. You have kind of your primary wife or primary wives, and then you have lower level wives and so on. Now, more to raise kind of eyebrows, why is Moses writing about this in the first place, about this extra wife and sons? Well, Moses, is, who we understand to be the author, is probably giving the sources to his people who the very people are that they are encountering during their wilderness journey. Now, Abraham sends these sons off to the east, This is the area uh, that they are marching through. And those peoples might be saying, look, we have a claim uh, to Abraham. We have a claim to the land. And so what this particular story is telling us, no, only the descendants of Isaac have that claim to that land. Now, Abraham dies at the ripe old age of 175 full of years. He is buried in the only piece of property that he ever owned. And that was the burial land that he had purchased for Sarah, now for himself and then for his family who's succeeding. I want you to think about this. Abraham was 75 years old when he sent into uh, to Canaan. God has promised him this land. He has promised offspring. You're not going to be able to count All your offspring, Abraham. You're going to become a great nation. What does Abraham end up with? A burial plot and one son of that promised covenant. That's after a hundred years. Now even so, Abraham still has faith in the promises of God in that covenant. That's why he sends the other sons away, as if there's not enough land to hold them all. He gives gifts to them, but he passes his estate to Isaac alone. He still believes God will come through on his promise. Now, it's at such a juncture here that we would typically look back over Abraham's life. You know, what are the lessons we can learn of this man of faith? But Abraham is actually one figure in which we have to look forward to truly understand his place in God's work. So we're going to do a little bit of traveling through the scriptures here. In the very next chapter, uh, Isaac is moving through the land. There is a famine. The Lord appears to him to tell him, Don't go down to Egypt like your dad. He says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to you, offspring, all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments my statutes and my laws. Now, our pastor next Sunday, he'll actually have that passage and I'm sure he'll deal much more with this. The only thing for us to note here is the place of Abraham in this promise that's made to Isaac. It's the same promise made to Isaac. And furthermore, it's going to be carried out by the Lord because of Abraham's faithfulness in obeying the Lord. Isaac subsequently still has to to move because there's a dispute about land. God appears to him again and reassures him again. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Well, next comes Jacob. Jacob is on his way back, actually, to Mesopotamia to find a wife and to escape Esau, who's pretty angry with him. Okay, he has that famous dream that we know as a Jacob's ladder. And in that dream, God tells him this. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So that promise continues. One that was made to Abraham, down to Isaac, down to Jacob. It continues. Okay? We turn the pages. We come to Exodus. You know what happened after Jacob. He produced, what, 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. His family of about 70 end up in Egypt where they're going to remain about 400 years. There they become slaves. So we come to Exodus, and 2.24 tells us this. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. So the deliverance of the people will take place not because, you know, God's kind of looking over the earth and he sees, you know, there's some people who are suffering. I feel kind of bad for them. I think I will help them out. No, it's because God remembered his covenant that he had first made with Abraham, that he had renewed with Isaac and with Jacob. And indeed, he says to Moses, when you go back, you tell them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. As we know, God is good to his word. He delivers the people. He directs them to Mount Sinai. He calls Moses up there. He's giving him the Ten Commandments. And while that's going on, the people decide to have their own little party. We have this gold calf incident. And God gets so angry. Here's what he says to Moses. I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. And Moses actually argues their case. How does he do it? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants. To whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give you your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. God, remember that promise you made to our father Abraham. All right, Moses dies. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. They take the land. Joshua's coming to the near the end of his life. He calls all the people together. He wants them to commit themselves to the Lord. And he will refer them to their father, Abraham, whom God brought into the land. We then don't hear about Abraham again in the book of Judges. We go all the way through the period of Judges. It's probably no coincidence that that's the time in which the people's faith and morals just spiral downward and downward and downward. It's not till we get to King David that we come back to Abraham. David has, has conquered. He's a king in Jerusalem. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He's written, he's written a psalm, gives it to the music director to be sung, and here's what's included in it Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Remember the covenant that God has made with our father Abraham, it's an everlasting covenant. It's the covenant that we will have the inheritance of this land. Psalm 105 will also refer to Abraham and his covenant. And then it'll add this phrase, speaking, O offspring of Abraham. Now, later, in Israel's history, Elijah appears on the scene. He will call upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel to bring down fire on his offering. Remember, he's, he's brought all the Baal prophets together. And he says, look, you offer sacrifice to your God and have him call down fire, Then I will do that with my God. They have their fruitless efforts of trying to do it. He says, O oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, boom, the fire comes and consumes the offering. Later on, the enemy armies are marching against Judah. King Jehoshaphat appeals to God and reminds God that he had given the land to the descendants of Abraham, whom he calls God's friend. Later on, King Hezekiah will come, and he's going to lead a revival in Judah. And he will appeal to the people to return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We come, you're turning to the, to the prophets, you come to Isaiah. Isaiah will speak of Abraham as, as our father Abraham. He will speak of the people as uh, Abraham's offspring. He'll also make that reference to Abraham as God's friend. We'll come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah reports God is saying this, If I have not established my covenant with day and night, and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. They can count on God to restore their fortunes just as they can count on God to see that the sun comes up each morning. Why? Because he will remember. He will keep the promise that he has made to Abraham. And so we go throughout all the generations. The nation of, of Israel will remember the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The children of Abraham, they can confidentially place their hope in God's redemption. Why? Why? because of being the children of Abraham, God's friend. Well, we move into the New Testament. And this theme of the, of the covenant promise was made with Abraham, that it, that it belongs to him, it continues. Mary, And she gives her song of praise. Zechariah, when he finally speaks and gives his song of praise, each of them will refer to the covenant of Abraham. There will be two men in the New Testament who will embrace this concept of the covenant promise, of belonging to Abraham, being his offspring, but they're going to challenge one thing about it. They're going to challenge the concept of who those offspring are. We'll see this in chapter 8 of, of, John, of the Gospel of John. It presents a confrontation between Jesus and, and some of his Jewish hearers. And we pick up on it. They answered Jesus, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you will be doing the works Abraham did. But Now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. He said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Just because you cannot bear to hear my word, you are of your father, the devil, and you—your will is to do your father's desires. Now you know Jesus' contention here. He's saying, "Look, it's one thing to be offspring of Abraham—that is to be physical descendants. That's true. Your bloodline is, can be traced back to Abraham. It's another thing to be children." to be true chips off the old block. And these descendants were not following the ways of Abraham. They were not following his faith. They were not following his obedience. And what is the litmus test? It's their ability, or in this case their inability, to receive teaching from Jesus and to recognize who he is. Now the next challenge. About who the offspring are, is the Apostle Paul. There's a couple of places where he, he takes time to talk about this. One is in Romans 4, and the other in Galatians 3. And what he's arguing is that Abraham is the father of those who have faith. They may be Jewish, the circumcised, they may be Gentile, the uncircumcised. Now let me read first of all from Romans. This is from chapter 4. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of, of law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So that's writing to the Romans. Now he's writing to the Galatians. Here he's actually writing to Gentiles who are trying to be like the Jews. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see what he's saying? One's heritage, whether it be bloodline, whether it be an historical, let's say ethical or national heritage, even a religious heritage, that is not the guarantee of belonging to the covenant promise made to Abraham guarantee is faith in Jesus Christ, who is the promised Redeemer. That's what the promise is all about, pointing to Jesus. It is believing that Jesus fulfilled the promise to Abraham through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why have I taken up so much time going through a very lengthy Bible study? Well, one reason is this. Have you ever heard anyone say, maybe you have said it at one time, I can't make sense of the Bible. You know, I go back, particularly the Old Testament, and I can't figure out what all these stories, how they fit in together. Well, you've just learned. You have just learned how it all fits in together. There's a theme, and it runs through the Scriptures It leads up to Jesus Christ and then beyond his resurrection. God made a covenant promise. He made it first to Abraham. This promise would come through the birth of the offspring that was promised, first of all, to Eve. He's going to crush the head of Satan. This promise comes about by first passing through Abraham then through Isaac, then through Jacob, and on down the line until we get to the birth of Jesus Christ. Satan will try to destroy that line of the seed. It's one of the problems that that Israel keeps having and people keep uh, trying to uh, do away with the Jewish people. But God in his providence will protect that lineage. Meanwhile, Each generation of the covenant nation of Israel, they're going to pass down that hope of the covenant promise. There's going to be periods of spiritual depravity. Even so, they will never lose sight of that hope. So that time we come to the New Testament times, they will be saying, we are children of Abraham. God will remember his covenant. That's what it's all about. But there is real encouragement to take away for us from this lesson. And that's this. You too, if your faith rests in Jesus Christ, you're children of Abraham. You too belong to this covenant of Abraham. Whether your heritage is that of a Jewish heritage or a Gentile heritage, you may count Abraham as your father. Wasn't always that way. Once you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Once you were, as the scriptures say, you were far off. Once you were not—you're not even a people. But now you're the people of God. Now you've been brought near to God. Now these covenants of the promise that were made to Abraham—that we keep reading way back there in the Old Testament—they're our promises. It's our covenant. Do you ever fear? Do you ever fear sometimes that God will give up on you? You know, there, you, you sinned again. You know, there was a sin, you, you promised to God, I'm not going to do this again. You committed it again. Or, uh, your faith wavered again. You, just showed, you said you were going to trust God, and you did not trust God, though you had promised to do so. I mean, really. Jesus died for you. Sometimes you ever take a look at yourself and you go, what do I have to show for it? Does he never begrudge dying for me? I mean, will, isn't there a point in which God finally will say, no? Well, That's a good question. Will God, will Jesus, ever give up? Does God make a promise that God will not keep. That's what our lesson here is about. Did he tell Abraham that he would do his best for Abraham's descendants, but, well, no guarantees. I mean, no telling what the people are going to be like, and I can only make so much promises. Or more to the point, the covenant that was made with Abraham, you think about how was it completely fulfilled, By Jesus Christ. It is Christ who has mediated indeed a new and better covenant. The the conditions of obedience and faithfulness. Remember how God had said, Because of Abraham's obedience, because of Abraham's faith, I will keep the covenant? Well, now, this obedience, this faithfulness is laid upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Will Jesus fail? Will God the Father go back on the agreement that he made with his Son? If God would keep the promise that he made to Abraham, his friend, will he not all the more keep the promise that he made to God, the son? The son who is not ashamed, by the way, to be called our brother. So we're to rest. Not in our ability to be good enough, to work hard enough. We are to rest in the work of our promised redeemer, Now there may be, I don't know, there may be some who are here who have ever yet to make that step of faith. And you might think, you know, look, I'm just too weak about this stuff. I'm too sinful or, or whatever it is that you think might hold you back. Well, you also look to Abraham. There's another passage in Abraham that refers to, I mean, another passage in Isaiah that refers to Abraham. And I almost skipped over, because when I read it, it made no sense to me. I just thought, well, I don't understand that one at all. I'll just go on. Here's how it reads. It's in Isaiah 29, verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham. Redeemed Abraham? When did Abraham ever need redeeming? So you have to be in slavery and... I mean the people of Israel when they were Egypt, they were redeemed. Well, I I talked or mentioned about that time that Joshua had called the people to come and how he had referred to Abraham. Let me read further what he says. It says, Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served. Other gods. Think about what's being said here. Abraham had been a pagan. God took him out of that pagan life and made him the faithful servant that Abraham came to be. That is when God redeemed Abraham. And so God can take you out of your outsider condition. He can bring you, he can bring anyone into the covenant that he has made with Abraham and has fulfilled in Christ, he can make you, too, a child of Abraham. Indeed, he can make you a child of God the Father. All that you need to do is to ask in faith. Indeed, all any of us need to do is to trust in the promise of God that he had made to Abraham. Let's pray. We give you praise, our God, for that covenant that was made to our father Abraham. And so that that blessing that you said would come to Abraham, that would go to all the nations, here we are as testifying to it, because we come and, and give thanks and praise for the blessing of the salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ, our promised deliverer. We give you thanks and praise for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.